I'd encourage you to pick up a bulletin. I'll just mention a couple of things going on. <clears throat> we do need some help. We finish up our series on Elijah, and then we're going to start going into kind of some Christmas uh, Christmas type sermons the next few weeks, getting ready for the, for the Christmas season. Um, since you've been sitting for a while, I want you to stand just for a moment. I'm going to open in a word of prayer. Ask God to bless, if you can stand. Um, <clears throat> I know you've been sitting there for a while. I want you to wake up right before we, we get the word. Is that all right with you guys? Yes. Okay, it's okay. Thank you. It's all right with Joyce. Then it's all right with you guys. You didn't have to. But I appreciate you did. Stand up, stretch out, take a deep breath. All right, yes, look at that. All right, so that we can be ready to receive the word. The reason why is it's going to be at least a two or three hour sermon. Um, Just letting you know. I want you to get your money's worth, amen? No, that is not the case. It'll be brief. But let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the blood that you shed for us. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. And Lord, we we stand here today grateful and thankful that you are our Savior because truly we are a broken people and we are in need of a Savior. And so, Lord, um, we're thankful that you are such a loving God, such a patient God, and that you are a God who seeks to restore and that you love us and you pursue us. And so we just give you the praise. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. Bless the brief time that we have as we look at Elijah just one more time in his life and how you moved and worked in his life, Lord, and how you desire to move and work in each of our lives. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 1 Kings 19, we're going to just finish up our series. There's a lot more in the scripture about Elijah, but we're going to finish up our series because we're getting into the holiday season. We'd like to spend some time there. But uh, 1 Kings 19, right before I read this passage, remember Elijah, he, he was being greatly used by God. And he kind of has this mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel. Remember, he calls fire down from heaven and consumes the the altar of the Lord there. And he then slays and kills the false prophets. And the next day, uh, that very day, word gets back. And as Ahab, King Ahab goes back, he tells his wife, Queen Jezebel, what what Elijah had done. And and she says, I'm going to you're dead. By tomorrow at this time, Elijah, you are going to die. Now remember, as we study Elijah, he did some amazing things. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of courage. He's a man of boldness. This man, up to this point, shows no fear. God uses him miraculously. In fact, God uses him when he, he prays to stop the heavens. And the Bible says there's no rain, there's no dew on the earth for three and a half years. And then while, while in that period, God uses him to provide for a widow woman and her son, a small boy. And during that time frame, that boy dies and Elijah goes and he cries out to God and he prays and God brings the boy back to life. Miracle. We then see Elijah then 
confronting the false prophets. And when he confronts the false prophets, then he builds the altar of the Lord. The, the false prophets of Baal and Asherah, 850, they pray all day long. They cut themselves and they bleed on the altar and their prayers aren't answered. And then Elijah gets up and he says, the altar is prepared, but he says, throw water on it. That's not enough. Throw more water on it. That's not enough. Throw more water on it. That's not enough. Throw more water on it until the trench is filled with with, with water to make it more difficult to prove who the one true God is. And Elijah prays and he prays a very brief prayer and fire comes from heaven and consumes that altar. And then Jezebel says, tomorrow you are a dead Man. And what does Elijah do? We find in 1 Kings 19, we read it last week, Elijah, he runs for his life. And he goes out into the wilderness. The Bible says a few days journey out and he goes out a day or so journey after he left his servant. He sits underneath a juniper tree and he sits there and he even says, Lord, I wish you'd just take my life. Just take my life. I'm a failure I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not as good as my father's were, and he is just distraught. And we studied that last week. We looked at some reasons why we believe Elijah was so discouraged. And let me remind you of something, that Satan, one of his favorite tools, one of his favorite weapons is discouragement. He will use discouragement to try to rob you of your effectiveness, to rob you of your joy, to try to keep you from fulfilling God's will for your life. How many have ever been discouraged before? Don't lie, be honest, you're in church. How many have ever been discouraged before? We've all been there. And Elijah is so discouraged that he his thoughts and his 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 mind is just racing and even says to himself, I just I Lord, just take my life. It's interesting, God answered all the prayers that we see of Elijah, but God doesn't answer this prayer. Amen. When he says, Lord, take my life, the Lord doesn't answer that prayer because it wasn't God's will. And God was not through with Elijah. And I want you to notice as we read here kind of what is God's response to Elijah and how does God respond? We see, as we read last week, he sends an angel and the angel comes to minister unto him. And he gives him, says he wakes him up and he gives him some food and some water and he lets him sleep again. Elijah's exhausted. He's wore out. He's emotionally and spiritually and physically drained. We don't know how long he sleeps, but then the angel wakes him up a second time. And he says, notice in verse seven, this is where we'll catch up this week. He says this, and the angel Lord came back a second time and he touched him and he said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and he was strengthened by that food. And he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I don't know what was in that angel food, but it must have been good stuff. I want some of that. That's what you call superfoods. How many of you have ever heard of superfoods? That was a superfood. I know it was an angel food cake of some kind. But I think it had some other extra ingredients in there. It had a little bit of creatine in there, a little aminos. I'm not sure what's all in there. But whatever, that, whatever those little cakes were, that was some super food, let me tell you. And the Bible says it strengthened him. Now notice it says, there he went 
into a cave and spent the night. Now he went to the Mount, Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. Does that Mount Sinai ring a bell? Where Moses went, he went to the same exact place. He had to travel 40 days to get out into the wilderness where Mount Sinai was at. He's going to go to the very same place where Moses had an encounter with God. It says, and there he went to a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and they've torn down your altars and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, listen to this, came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak even over his face. And he went out and he stood at the the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, remember, it's a gentle whisper. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same response. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. He's going to give him instruction. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you, when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. And also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, notice this, son of Shaphat, from abel Meloha to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve, notice this, there's 7,000 Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went, he's obedient. And from there he found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and he throws his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his auction, ran after Elijah. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And he said, then I will come and be with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done done to you? The Bible says that Elisha then goes, says goodbye to his families. He sacrifices his, his oxen. He uses the plow that he was using as firewood and he creates a feast and they have a barbecue, amen? (laughs) They have a barbecue. And you say, well, why did he do that? That's Elisha. You know, we've heard of the saying, burning our bridges. He, He was saying, I'm done with this. I'm burning my bridges, so to speak. And now I'm now going to be a prophet of the Lord and follow the Lord. There's so much and so many things we could cover this morning, but I want to just cover for a few moments that God is in the restoration business.
business. Amen? That God restores. Because the Bible tells us that we've been studying this throughout. The book of James tells us in the New Testament that Elijah was not a superhuman. He was not a super Christian. Although we considered him to be one of, if not the greatest of all prophets. Elijah was, the Bible says in James, just as human as you and I are. In some versions I like it, it says that he has the same feelings and emotions that you and I have. That Elijah was just as human as we are, but yet the Bible says that God used him in a tremendous way. You see, Elijah was a man of like passions. Elijah was a man... If you will, just like us, he was just as human as you and I are. He was an ordinary man who was serving an extraordinary God. If we're not careful, we oftentimes put people on a pedestal. We oftentimes begin to worship the man and not the God of the man. Somebody say amen there. God used Moses in a tremendous way. And we we know that he had this rod and that God uh, used Moses in a tremendous way. And many times people began to worship the rod, not the God of the rod. And what we have to understand is this, is that, that yes, Elijah was a great prophet. He's a great man, but he was just a man. He's just as human as, as we are. He went through the same feelings and the same emotions and the same struggles. He got hungry. He got hangry. Amen. He, he got tired, he got fatigued, he got wore out, and we see that in his life. Boy, the kids are having fun upstairs. I probably should have preached on the, this, something about Jericho or something, and the walls caving in. But Elijah, we see here, if you want to use this term, Elijah fell. Okay, Elijah was not perfect. In fact, so much so that Elijah got discouraged in his lack of faith that he got to a point where he says, I don't even want to live. I just wish I were dead. And he even says, I wish that God would just kill me, that God would take me out. I don't know about you, but that's pretty low. And what I love about this passage is how God responds. God does not send a counselor God does not have him necessarily confronted yet. The first thing he does is he sends someone to comfort him. He sends him an angel. And by the way, I believe that God sends angels to comfort us when we need need. And you say, well, I've never seen an angel. Well, you're looking at one of them. Amen. (laughs) God could send angels... In all different shapes and sizes. We sometimes miss this. The angel may be your wife who encourages you when you're down or your husband, so to speak. It may be that church member or that church, that person that you go to church with. It may be that person in your small group. It may be as simple as this. It could be a coach. It could be a teacher. But when you're down and when you're discouraged... Many times God sends that angel. The word angel literally means messenger of God. Do you know that maybe God would even call you? I know it's hard to believe you to be an angel. To where you could be an angel or a messenger of God. To bring hope. To encourage someone when they're down. So God sends an angel. 
And what does he do? He comforts him by giving him food and giving him water and allowing Elijah to rest. And he sleeps. And when he wakes back up, the Bible says that he comes again. And the angel says, here, drink this and eat this food because you're going to need it. The strength is, the, the journey is too great for you. By the way, can I tell you this real clearly? The Christian journey for all of us, it's too great for us. We cannot handle it. It's too much for us. But we can in the strength and the power of the Lord, we can. Yeah. Amen. It's the value of that lesson. You see, he was sustained. You say, well, that, well, well, Pastor Joe, there's just, there is no super food on the planet that a guy can live on for 40 days and do what he did. The point was this, is that it was the Lord was his strength, amen? And it was supernatural. I'll tell you this, the Christian life is a tough life. The Christian life, living it and trying to fulfill what the Bible tells us to do can be a challenge, but you can do it in the strength of the Lord. And I know we don't want to hear this, but there's going to be times where we're going to fail, where we fall and we mess up. It's going to happen. Not me, says Peter. <laughs> We're going to fall. Proverbs twenty four sixteen. I like this passage of scripture. Elijah is kind of the epitome of this. It says this, for the righteous fall seven times, but what does he do? He rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Elijah fell, and Elijah fell hard. And we're going to uh, see a little bit about how God dealt with him. But may I say to you, Elijah fell, and Elijah fell hard, but yet he got back up. The Hebrew word there, for, the idea is this in the Hebrew language is that he falls seven times, and it says, but he rises yet again. The word again is the idea is this he falls and he rises again and again. And again, 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 and again. You, well, listen to me. The Christian life is this, is that we stumble and we fall. But by the grace of God, we get back up. And by the grace of God, he restores us. Amen? Jesus said this in Luke. He says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit. For the kingdom. But can I tell you something? I think there's times when you're holding the plow, you may stumble and you may fall a few times. But we keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Elijah is like others in the scriptures that I find. Who fell and fell hard. Let me give you just a few examples. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 20, the Bible says that he lied about his wife. His wife, Sarah, was very attractive. And when he had to go into the foreign land and go into another land, the Bible says that she was so attractive, he was worried that they would want to try to take her as his wife and that they would kill him so they could have his wife. And so what does he do? He tells his wife to lie. It was kind of a half-truth because it was his half-sister. And so he lies and he says, tell them that we, you are my sister, that we're not married. And so he tells a lie. And obviously God was not in that. And God gave Sarah grace. 
But he lies and he says, this is just my sister. You know, by the way, how low could you go, Moses? You know, like to put that pressure on your wife. But the Bible tells us that God protects Sarah. Abraham learns a valuable lesson. And in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham took his son to Mount Moriah, which is now in present-day Jerusalem, nearly the same place where the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for us. In Genesis 22, Abraham takes his son Isaac. The Bible says, do you know the story? Do you remember the story? It was willing to offer up his own son as a sacrifice. But God provided a substitute. Amen. Abraham had a lack of faith and Abraham fell. But yet we see Abraham just a few chapters later in the greatest demonstration of his faith. Moses, the meekest man in all of the earth, what does he do? He, 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 he strikes the rock twice and he gets angry and he calls God's people rebels. And God then says, Moses, I'm sorry, but because of this, you cannot go into the promised land. But yet what I think is amazing is this, is that later Moses does go into the promised land. You say, when? Many years later. Do you remember when Jesus was here on earth and he went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and he went to the high mount? Who was there? Who showed up? Moses and who? Elijah. Standing there on the mount. I think about a man by the name of Samson. Samson, who through his lust and his lust for women, we see that he fell after a woman named Delilah and he, he literally uh, broke his covenants and broke his vows against God. And what do we see? We see then uh, Samson falling, one of the hardest falls in all of Scripture. What Samson went through. And he was blinded as they plucked out his eyes, burned out his eyes, and as he had to grind the wheat. And as he was being mocked, and persecuted, and laughed at, and ridiculed. But what does Samson do? Samson, later, he cries out to God, and he says, God, if you would restore my strength one more time. God, if you could get the glory through me one more time. And God grants it. The Bible says that that last victory was the greatest of all his victories. David fell. Boy, did David fall hard. David fell. Lust, sexual immorality, adultery, lies, deceit, murder. And then we see him repent and call out to God and repent. You know, God ended up using him to prepare the way for the temple. Peter. I will not deny you, Lord. I'm your strong. I mean, don't you just love Peter? Lord, all these others, all these other people out here, they're going to deny. They probably would, but not me. Not me. I will never deny you. I will die for you. We see Peter denying the Lord, cursing and swearing. Boy, did Peter fall hard. The Bible says that he sees the Lord Jesus and he goes out and he wept bitterly. He wept. But the Lord Jesus sought out Peter. Remember as he sits by the fire, he restores Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? 
Peter, do you love me? How many times did he ask Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times, do you love me? Finally, Peter, recognizing and realizing, he says, Lord, I, I'm not, I, only you know. And the Lord says, I know you love me, Peter. In fact, you're going you're gonna to be willing to go and die for me. A man by the name of John Mark in the scripture. John Mark was a young man who went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And we have, we have Paul and Barnabas on this journey. And while they're there, you know what happens? John Mark gets homesick. John Mark says, ah, I don't like this. This is too much for me. And he says, I'm going back. And so he leaves to go back. And later, some time later, Paul then wants to go out on a missionary journey again with Barnabas. And Barnabas says, hey, we're going to bring John Mark. He's going to come with us. And Paul says, uh-uh, that kid's a failure. You say, well, did he say that? I don't know if it's the exact words. But he says, I'm not taking him. He let us down. He's not, he's not worthy. He's not supposed to come. And the Bible says that, now this is hard for us to believe, that Paul and Barnabas got in such a hard, sharp fight that they both just walked away. They both walked away. Paul went one way. Barnabas went the other. And that was God multiplying his kingdom work. Amen. And you want to know something? John Mark became a tremendous missionary, servant of the Lord. And you want to know something? You know the book of Mark that you read? He wrote that. And Paul later, I love it, Paul later had to eat crow, you know? Because he later wrote and he said, hey, he says in, in his writing, some of his last letters in Timothy, he says that John Mark, he is worthy. Get him. We need him. He, we, need, we need his service. We need him. He's, he's one of the guys that we need. I'm sure, I'm sure Barnabas just loved to hear those words, you know. I was right. I was right. I'm reminded years ago, when I was in Bible college, there was a pastor from maybe an hour or so away that would come and speak quite often. He became one of my favorites. Just had a heart for God. And, and he had one of the for, the, for Pennsylvania, in the northeast of Pennsylvania, one of the largest, most thriving churches. And it was just a powerful church. And I remember I went and visited his church. And I was just like... Man, this, God is using this man. And I remember meeting him and just wanting to get to know him. And, you know, as, as I was just a very young, young man and, and, and training, and I thought, this is someone that, boy, I really want to, to, you know, if you will, emulate. This is someone that you could say, this is, this is someone who loves God. And when I got to know him, and I started asking about his experience in ministry, and, and, and then he shared his story. How when he left Bible college and he got out of Bible college and how he started to get into ministry and he took a church. And as he was pastoring this church there in Pennsylvania, he basically had neglected his wife, neglected his home. And he said what happened was this, that his wife literally, when he came home one day, his wife was gone. Bags were packed, small children gone, and she had completely left. He was devastated. And he had realized that he was not the husband and not the father and not the man of God that he was and that he had completely and completely neglected his family and thought, my marriage is done, it's over. She went and moved in with her family. He was broken, broken. 
He said to his wife, I will do whatever it takes. He resigned his church. I'll do whatever it takes to, to just to love you and to cherish you. And he began to study the Bible and realize, wow, I've totally messed up here. I have fallen and that God could never use me again. He says, oh, I only desire is to restore my family. And he went through months and months. It was a year or more before they were even reconciled. And they came back together and they came back together as a family. And he said to his wife, you know, I just, you know what, I'm just going to get a, we're going to, I'm going to keep working a job and taking care of my home and taking care of my family. And he, he's never, Never dreamed that God would ever use him again. And then people at work began to ask him questions. And he began to talk to people about the Lord. And before long, people were accepting Christ. And before long, they started a Bible study. And he said they had a Bible study. It was in their home. And it began to grow and grow and grow. Before long, they had too many to fit into their home in the Bible study. And he says, well, we, we need to find a place to meet. And he says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to help find you a pastor. They said, we need a pastor. He said, well, you're going to be our pastor. He said, no, 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 no. I am not qualified. I'm not going to be your pastor. He said, but I'm going to help you find, find someone to be your pastor. He went home. His wife said, no, God has called you to be the pastor of this church. And God restored him. And they had one of the largest, most thriving ministries there up in northeastern Pennsylvania. That church just grew. He never even intended to start a church, but God had other plans. Amen. Then years later, I remember I had lost track, but years later, not only did he pastor at church, but he actually went off to be a missionary in Ukraine to start churches in Ukraine. God can restore the broken. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 9. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 9. Listen to this. Paul says, we are hunted down but never abandoned by God. Aren't you thankful he never abandons us? He says, we are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. Listen to these words. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Have you ever been knocked down by the devil? I have been knocked down and stomped a few times. <laughs> Come on now. Somebody say, have you ever been knocked down by the devil? Come on, just a minute. Yes. Have you ever been knocked down? He says, you may be knocked down, but listen, you have not been abandoned. You have not been destroyed. By, praise God. Amen. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible tells us that God called Elijah. He sent that angel and he then takes them to a place where he's going to have an encounter and experience with God. And do not miss this. That as he is there on that mountain, the Bible says that he sends a great and powerful wind, but God was not in the wind. He sends an earthquake, and literally the earth shakes, but God was not in that earthquake. He sends a fire, the Bible says, but God was not in the fire. But I love this. He finally comes, and he speaks to him in a still, small voice. God pursued Elijah. Elijah had fallen, but God desired to restore him. I love this passage in Romans chapter 5, verse number 20. It says this. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, where sin, some will say where sin abounded, grace abounded all. 
the more. Are you not, are you thankful for the grace of God? Because we are all sinners. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Elijah got knocked down. Elijah was was discouraged and he was down and he fell and he fell hard. But notice this, he was not abandoned by God. Can I tell you this morning, there is, listen to me, I love the scripture. David said, if I, you know, if I were to send up into the mountains, you are there. If I were to send it literally into the heart of the earth, thou art there. There is nowhere that you can go that God is not there. He knows everything about you. It says in that same psalm, David said, he knows when I get up, when I stand up. He knows when I sit down. He knows when I go to sleep. He knows when you take, he knows everything about you. And let me tell you something. God loves you and God will never, ever, ever abandon you. And you say, but I've messed up and I've screwed up and I've just totally blown it. Can I tell you something? God's grace is greater than all of that. But you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Isn't that what the prodigal son said? The prodigal son went out and he fell hard and he fell into sin. And it was Jesus himself who gives us the beautiful story of the prodigal son who went out and wasted his life. The word prodigal literally means to waste, wasteful. He wasted everything that he had. And when he finally was sitting there in the hogs pen and the stench of the pigs and that smell, he says, I'm going to go back to my father. Maybe just maybe I can be a servant for him. Maybe I could be one of his slaves, one of his servants, because it's sure better to be a servant and, than, than to live like this. And the Bible says that as he was walking back, his father who saw him a great way off, amen, he ran out and he kissed him and he embraced him and he hugged him and he said, kill the fatted calf, kill it, bring me a robe and bring me my ring to place upon him. May I tell you something? God loves you. There is nowhere that you can go where the love of God cannot find you. And he will pursue you. He loves you. If you're here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you're here because God loves you. He's been pursuing you. And you have been prodigal. But he wants to bring you home into his family. Amen. Where sin does abound, the grace of God does much more abound. And with the smell of the hog pen... That prodigal son came humbly back and his father hugged him and kissed him and loved on him and celebrated him and rejoiced and said, rejoice with me for my son has come home. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24 says this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I love this. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Amen? Look at these words. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. You may not believe this, but it is not you trying to hold on to God. <laughs> Aren't you thankful for that? It is God holding on to you. He loves you. He pursues you. And there is nowhere that you cannot go that God's love is not sufficient. Amen?
God loves you. You say, but I've messed up and I've fallen and I've screwed up and all those things. Okay, do what the prodigal son did. Confess it. Repent and come home. Amen. You see, understand this. The Christian life, you will stumble. You will fall. But the righteous man, you get back up again. Amen. And you can only do that by the grace of God. Elijah is just as human as us. And he messed up. But aren't you thankful that God pursued Elijah? And here's the cool thing. Do you know that Elijah has 10 more years of ministry, more miracles to come? And you know what he does? He trains Elisha for 10 years to take his job. And then Elisha does an amazing job, and he takes over. And God uses him in a tremendous way. I'm finished with this. Many a times, Christians will say, well, I've messed up, and so God can't use me. And God doesn't want to use me again. That is a lie from the enemy. It's a lie of the devil. God is not finished with you. Amen? You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Joe? Here's one reason. Because you're still here. Amen? (laughs) If you're here, God still has a purpose. God still has a plan for your life. Do you believe that? God has a purpose and God has a plan for your life. That God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we love you.